you have your Bibles, you can turn to Psalm 91. It's been our practice for a while now on Communion Sundays to have a psalm meditation. Take a break from our typical sermon series, which we actually have concluded, concluded 1 Samuel, and we'll be in Philippians next week. So as we transition to that, we'll be in Psalm 91 today. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the pew in front of you. You can use one other thing as we prepare to come to the Lord's uh, table this morning. I um, wanted to sh- share something we've set up and, and produced for families with young kids. You know, if you have a young child in your family who is getting ready or you think might be ready to profess faith and to become a member and to take the supper, we've produced a workbook that you can take home. Um, we can print those off for you in the office. And you can take it home, work with your child on these. Uh, that basically gets them ready for you know, what is the Lord's Supper all about and what is the gospel and see if they have a, a grasp of that, if they truly believe uh, in their heart. And so just, just come to me or come to Kathleen, our children's director, uh, if you're interested in grabbing one of those uh, at some point. Well, if you would, please stand for the reading of God's word from Psalm 91. This is God's word. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. And when he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. This is God's word. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Father, would you open our ears? Would you open our eyes to see this truth of your word? To embrace it? Father, would you ignite a passion in each one of us? to know you and to seek you and to see Christ who sought us, who lived and died and rose again to save us and who is our salvation. Help us to see Christ this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the Psalms are important for God's people, always have been. You know, a third of the Bible is poetry. And the psalms are sung as well, have been sung by God's people for centuries. That's why we just sang Psalm 91 before we turned to it for reading it and preaching it. It's to be 
a way that we can go to God in, a, in an emotional way and cry out to Him and pray the Psalms and sing the Psalms. That we need these. And one thing I wanted to point out about the Psalms is there are, there's a lot of what we call parallelism. Right? There's this, it's poetry, and so it uses these poetic devices. And what parallelism is, is basically you say something in one line, and you say the same thing, but you, you're, you tweak it quite a bit or a little bit to bring a, a, a deeper meaning. So you see it all throughout Psalm 91, this parallelism. They say one idea, and then you say another that's similar. Even in verse 1, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. So you see this again and again. Usually the second half of the parallel enhances what the psalmist is saying. And so notice that as we read it through uh, today. And what I want to share with you this morning, what is the most important thing about this psalm, is that is this truth. That as your dwelling place, God provides unconditional safety, endurance, and eternal peace. Unconditional safety, endurance, and eternal peace. The theme in this whole psalm is shelter, is protection. That if you are a believer, a follower of God, you are sheltered. You are protected from the storm. Being a believer means that you are under the cover of God's protective power. It means you are under the protective shelter of God's love. It's like being in a, uh, a strong house or a cabin in the middle of an electrical storm where you are being protected from the, the hail and the, the winds and the storm. And so it's an important idea for us to have as believers is what it means to be a, a follower of God is, is to be one that's under his care, under his shelter, and being protected by him. Because, and that's important because everyone, no matter who you are, worries about certain things. You guys, you have come here this morning and you carry worries into this building. I can feel them. <laughs> I have worries too. You bring your worries here. We carry them around. We're scared about the dangers we see in the world, about what we read on the news. Will I be safe? That's what you ask. Will my family be safe? We're scared about whether or not we'll have the energy to persevere often. Endure. Will I endure? Can I carry my faith forward another day? We're scared about the unknown. What will my future look like? What's tomorrow going to look like? What's my next week going to hold? And so the hope, this is an immensely practical and relevant psalm, the hope that this psalm gives answers each of those fears. If God is your dwelling place, you are safe, you will endure, and your future is amazingly blessed. So we're going to look at those three ideas uh, God's unconditional safety, God's unconditional endurance, and God's unconditional future. Those are the promises that are offered God's people in this, in this psalm. Let's look first at God's unconditional safety, verses 1 through 6. I'll just read it again. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, He will deliver you from the snare of the fowler, from the deadly pestilence. So 
So we get this imagery first of dwelling in a shelter, dwelling in this secure place where God is, is with us and over us. And then we we're, we're get this imagery of a fortress. And then this imagery of his, his sort of this being a, like a bird over us with his wings over us, his pinions, his feathers over, covering us with his love. You know, we have a built-in desire for safety. Every single one of us is built in with that desire. Every, every human has that desire to be safe. We don't want to be vulnerable. We don't want to be exposed to danger. And I was thinking about an example of that. We, our youngest, Shiloh, um, there's a scene, something happened probably a couple months, months ago. Our, our kids love this toy. It's a fish that if you press a, a side of it, the fish flops like it's a real fish. And it, it's mechanical, and it, it kind of goes back and forth, flops over the floor. Our kids love it, except when Shiloh saw it for the first time, I've never seen so much terror in a young baby's eyes. And I think she learned to crawl that day, to crawl away from the fish, and I think she started even climbing up Hannah's leg. She knew she was not safe near this fish. She had to get away. We had this built-in desire for safety. When I read verses 5 and 6, I'm reminded of the terror the dreams, the scared uh, uh, thoughts we have at night. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, the pestilence that stalks in darkness, or the destruction that wastes at noonday. Here it's, it's, it's saying we, we do not need to fear night or day. We don't need to fear things that happen in broad daylight, but we don't need to fear at night when our fears and our worries are, are, are going crazy. And we have to remind our kids of this every night. We pray for them not to have bad dreams. We pray for them to have good dreams. We pray for them to have good thoughts and, and to, um, you know, to sleep well. But don't adults have the problem, <laughs> that same problem at night? Don't your worries, don't your fears escalate right before you're going to bed? When you're trying to go to sleep, you, you worry about so many things. I, I worry about things as well, and I try to, I try to think, okay, as, the more I'm worrying, I'm like, okay, I just need to, go to, need to go to bed. I need to put this aside. And it's a blessing when you can do that. And it reminded me when I was young, I prayed this, or my parents taught me this prayer, you know, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep as angels watch me through the night. Pretty sure that prayer was based on Psalm 91. God sending his angels to guard and to, and to cover you. And so we have this desire for safety. And in the first part of the psalm, we are given so many assurances that if you dwell with God, if you're in in faith, His safety is unconditional. He will provide safety to you. He will watch over you. This is a beloved psalm in many families. It was in my family when we went uh, through a tragedy when my dad passed. And I know in... I know it's, it's a very famous psalm. Many people through, through the centuries have gone to this psalm. It was actually, I read, a psalm that uh, the rabbis in Jesus' day used for exorcism, to exorcise demons. They would read this psalm as a way uh, to do that. And so we're reminded of this great truth that, that there is no limit to God's protection for his people. He, he has full authority over all things. That, it, that happens on the earth. He is the one in control. And no power, 
in heaven and on earth is greater than Yahweh. Nothing more powerful than God, the divine warrior. But I want to quickly move from that first thought, that first idea of God's unconditional safety to this thought of unconditional endurance. How do we move from uh, the first point to the second? But before I do that, I want to say this. I'm using the word unconditional in these points, but there is one condition. You know, to receive this safety, this endurance, this future, there is one condition, and it's it's in verse 9. It says, because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High... Who is my refuge? No evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent. This protection, this love, this power is not for everybody. It's for those who dwell with God. It's for those who have made him your dwelling place. So ask yourself, as we're reading through this this morning, have you done that? Are you making God your dwelling place? This is how you receive that shelter. It's how you receive that protection but now let's think about endurance you may be asking yourself can all this really be true this all this talk about protection and god not allowing anything uh, evil bad to touch us you know each one of us if we're honest has struggled with the fear that maybe one day we'll wake up and lose our desire for god that we may just want to give it up and say, you know, it's not worth it. I'm going to go live how I want to live. This, this whole Christian life isn't working out for me. Um, I'm going to try something else. Where does that doubt come from? You know, ironically, I think sometimes it comes from reading Psalms such as this one. And we read these amazing, unconditional promises of God's protection. And then we look at our life. And there's a disconnect. On the one hand, God promises safety. He promises that he'll protect us. But we don't feel safe. Not from our own sin and not from the sins of others. Some of you have had your safety violated. Some some of you have endured real pain, real tragedy. All of us will in this life, in the brokenness of the world. What Psalm 91 doesn't mean, we don't walk around as Christians, with this divine bubble wrap around us, where, we're, where we're, uh, we're not going to be touched by the sin and the brokenness of this world. That's not what this means. If you have your Bibles, I want you to flip to the New Testament with me and go to Luke <clears throat> chapter 21. Gospel of Luke. I want to read this passage where Jesus is speaking to his disciples. And he's warning them he's, of that suffering will come. I'm going to begin at verse 10. Luke 21:10. Jesus said to them, "Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be great earthquakes in various places, famines and pestilences. And there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before all this, there will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors." For my name's sake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it therefore in your minds not to meditate beforehand how to answer. For for I will give you a mouth and wisdom. Which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. 
And you will be delivered up, even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends. And some of you, they will put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake. But not a hair of your head will perish. And by your endurance, you will gain your life. You see what Jesus is saying to his disciples. Some of you will be put to death, but not a hair of your head will perish. So what he's saying is no ultimate, no eternal harm will come to you if you are in Christ. If you are a believer in God, you will endure. You will endure. And, but you still might be asking this question, well, why do I suffer in this life? Why am I particularly suffering in this way? We have to remember first that idea that suffering will come, but we won't perish. But also that God knows all. He knows everything. Nothing that happens outside of His will. One commentator says, the Lord does not guarantee that no evil will befall those who trust Him. But all who find refuge in Him can rest with confidence that whatever happens on earth is with His knowledge. Nothing happens outside of his will, whether harm or disaster or tragedy or temptation. Did you know there was there's only one verse that we know of that Satan ever quoted in the Bible? And I read it for you earlier in the service. It's that mysterious scene where Jesus is being tempted in the wilderness. Him and Satan duking it out in the desert. And one of the temptations, the first temptation we read about is, is, is um, Satan telling Jesus to turn the stone into bread. Right? And uh, you know, Jesus responds, you only live uh, by the word of God alone, not on bread alone. The second went like this. He took him to this holy city, Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, Psalm 91, don't you know your scripture, Jesus? He will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up. Lest you strike your foot against the stone. Come on Jesus. Throw yourself down. Declare yourself to be the Messiah. So everybody can see. Jesus said to him again it is written. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Interesting. Interesting. You know Satan knows the Bible. He knows it well. Knows it better than any of us. And he's really good at twisting it. He's really good at taking it out of context. It reminds me, what he's doing to Jesus here reminds me what he does to Adam and Eve. Did God really say? Questioning God. Questioning his word. Some commentator says, In life the Lord may permit many terrible things to happen to his children, to you and me, as he did to his own son. But his children know that no power is out of his control. They trust their Heavenly Father while they act responsibly. Hence, they don't test the Lord to see what extent he'll deliver them from troubles. Satan tempted Jesus, why? To act presumptuously. But Jesus rebuked Satan by correctly responding that humans may not test the Lord. It's like this. No one can ever say to God, you can never say to God, I can never say to God, if I do this, God then you must do that. If I do this, then you have to do that. 
If I teach Sunday school at Hope this next semester, then you have to bless me and bless my family and bless my kids. And I come to church for the rest of the month. I hope my life is easy. That's so hard for us, isn't it? To not have this transactional relationship with God because much of our lives with people is uh, we, put, we try to put people in our debt all the time. I was so nice to her. And she didn't call back. I never received a thank you when I gave him that gift. You see, so much of life can be forced into this transactional framework. This transactional framework where we keep record of what we've done versus what other people have done or not done. Always comparing, always measuring. But we have to remember that doesn't work with God. He's not beholden to us. We're beholden to him. But when things don't work out, when we go through trial, when we go through temptation, when we go through tragedy, we're tempted to doubt, aren't we? We're tempted to doubt his care and his compassion. Did God really say? Adam and Eve here from the surface. You know, Satan, he's really devious. He's deceptive. He didn't slither his way into the garden and, and announce who he was. Hi, I'm Satan. I'm the accuser of you. I'm the enemy of God. Uh, I'm your enemy, just so you know, before I say what I'm about to say. No. He just said, did God really say? Did God really say? Is he really good? Is he really compassionate? Does he care for you? So sometimes we're tempted when we read Psalms like this, that when things go wrong, that this isn't true. No, it is true. This Psalm is true. But it isn't about problem avoidance. It's about endurance to finish the race. And I get this from verse 15. Let's go down to verse 15. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. Notice it doesn't say, I will be with him. Uh, notice we aren't saved from trouble, but we're saved through trouble. That's what Psalm 23 says. In the presence of my enemies, the table is prepared for me. I'm going to say this. I'm going to repeat it because it's very important. God isn't as interested in saving you from your troubles as he is in saving you through your troubles. Say it again. God isn't as interested in saving you from your troubles as he is in saving you through your troubles. If you don't believe me, go to Job and read the whole book of Job later today what it's basically about. He saves us through trouble. Here's why that's good news. If you dwell with God, you will endure with God. He will carry you through. He will walk with you all the way to the end, to the finish line. We're about to start a sermon series on Philippians. One of the reasons that I love this verse from Philippians 1.6. Paul writes, I'm sure of this. That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He'll finish what he started. That's what Paul's saying with you. And then Paul writes in Romans 8. Those whom he predestined, he called. Those whom he called, he justified. And those whom he justified, he glorified. If you are called, if you believe, you will be glorified. You cannot break that chain. 
But don't get me wrong, this doesn't mean you won't lapse into sin. All of us will. All of us will struggle. You will do things that will make you doubt your faith and commitment to God. That's why repentance from sin is a daily reality for the Christian. We have to be a repentant people. Repentance means turning away, saying, God, I am turning away from what I just did. I confess it, I'm sorry, and I turn away from it. I'm going to do my best to not do it again. But that's a continual process. You don't just have that be a one-time deal. The road to glorification is called sanctification. Right? Sanctification is the road to glorification. And friends, it's a bumpy road. It's a rocky road. It's got all sorts of hairpin turns. It's got cliffs on one side. But it's drivable in the end. Hannah and I went to Hawaii years ago, and um, we rented a, a Jeep. And we wanted to really find, like, really uh, out-of-the-way uh, uh, beaches that were uh, just, you know, no one was there, but they're hard to get to. And I'm sure we broke our rental agreement when we went on these off-roading adventures to these beaches. And there were a few times I was a little scared. <laughs> I wasn't going to get the Jeep back um, to where we were, we were from. Sanctification is like that. It's bumpy. It hurts. Sometimes you get popped tires. But you will make it there eventually. You will be held to the road. When we went to Disney World, they have these new rides. If you haven't been to Disney World in a, in a while, they have these new rides that basically go through an entire flat room, but they're on a magnetic trail. So, like, you're, you're, you're on a magnetic path, your cart, and you kind of go through these different rooms, and there's lots of lights, and it looks like you're going over waterfalls, and it's, it's scary and fun, but you're never going to leave that magnetic path. You're stuck to it. And so sanctification is hard. It's difficult. Have you ever been hiking and um, you, you feel like you should be at the, at the top of the mountain and then you go over this little crest of a hill and then you see the mountaintop is, is way up there and you look to your partner and you think, you say, are we really, is that it? We have to go up there, really? And they say, yeah. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> we all have a ways to go. We all have a ways to go, but we will get there with God's grace. Sanctification is the road to glorification. And it's the, it's the road to our future. And that's my final point this morning, that God has given us an unconditional future. And here I'm looking at the last three verses. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. Verse 14. I will protect him because he knows my name. And when he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him. And honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Friends, our future, your future, is known and secure in God. As much as we doubt and as much as we are afraid of what our future holds, God knows. And what are some true things about our future that we know from Scripture? Number one, we know it's sinless. So all the sin you struggle with, everything that that you, those habits, those things that you just can't seem to, to, to fight off and to kill in your life will be gone. So that means no more sinful uh, uh, rage or anger. No more lustful thoughts. No more fear of what might be. No more regrets of what you did or didn't do in your past. 
whatever sin you're struggling with this morning, whatever is nagging you, it'll be completely destroyed in heaven's pristine righteousness. You'll be perfect. You'll be, you'll be cleansed from all of that. Our future is sinless. Our future is also safe. Our future is safe. Uh, in Revelation 21, verse 1, there's this uh, phrase that it kind of stumped me for years and years, and I know it's been kind of hard for us to understand. It says the sea was no more in Revelation 21. There's no more sea. Why? Well, I take that to mean uh, in this more of a symbolic, poetic way that the sea will be no more, not in a literal way. Because if you read Revelation, what came out of the sea? In two different accounts, it was a dragon that came to devour God's people and a beast, right? Came out of the sea. The sea was the entrance, right? It was the door that, these e- that this evil came from. And that's why in 21 we read, there's no more sea. There's no more way, there's no more door for, the, for evil to get in. We're safe. We're safe. We're complete. That has all been uh, rejected and, and gone. No more evil can terrorize us. We're promised in verse 16, the very end of this, this psalm, that we'll have long life. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Now, that doesn't mean literally physical long life. We know that many Christians die young. So what kind of life is the psalmist referring to? Well, the Lord assures his, that his own will enjoy themselves as his children in this life, however long this life is, but in the life to come. Talking about eternal life. Our life, our eternal life, really begins at the point of being born again. And then it continues. But probably the, the crux of this whole psalm is, is verse 7 and 8. 7 and 8. A thousand may fall at your side. Ten thousand at your right hand. But it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. This is referring to God's justice, to God's judgment, his future ultimate judgment that you will see the wicked destroyed. And if you're in God, if you're trusting in him, you're not one of those wicked. You are watching that. You're watching that happen. All of God's justice will be poured out upon the evil of this world. There is, brothers and sisters, there is remaining wrath in God. It hasn't all been poured out yet. There is more coming. You see, God poured out His wrath on His Son, all, but it was only the wrath that was coming for His bride. It was only the wrath that was coming for the church, those who would believe in Him. There is coming wrath for the rest of those who reject Him for those who don't know him. And we will see that at the end of the day. We will see that recompense of the wicked. The psalm ends with this, this idea of, of showing salvation. It says, with long life I'll satisfy him and show him my salvation. One commentator, Brueggemann, says, it is the ground for confidence that the last word is not spoken by us, but to us. Your confidence can be in God's word to you, that he will show you his salvation. And that's what a great prayer to turn that into a prayer and say, God, show me your salvation. One of the things Christians have done for years, centuries, is turn the Psalms into prayers. Pray the Psalms. 
God, show me your salvation. It reminds me that it's God's salvation to grant, not yours to earn. Show me your salvation. It's God's to proclaim and yours simply to receive. And as we turn to think about what we're going to do after this, the Lord's Supper, I'm here to remind you that Jesus met all the conditions necessary for this psalm to be true for you. The whole reason it can be unconditional toward you is that Jesus met the conditions for you. This psalm is for you. It's for me. But it's about Jesus. It's about his obedience. It's about his righteousness. It's about his steadfast love. Look at verse 13. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent. You will trample underfoot. That is most clearly true through Jesus. And what he did on the cross, when he bruised, when he stomped on the serpent's head and he received that mortal wound and died for us on the cross, he fulfilled. He fulfilled what he came to do as the second Adam. He trampled on the serpent on the serpent. In verse 14, he holds fast to me in love. I will deliver him. I'll protect him because he knows my name. That's chiefly true through Christ. He is the one who holds fast. In love to the Father. Jesus fulfills Psalm 91 for you. That's how it can be for you. And if it's about Jesus, how is it for you? It's it's, it's for you because his obedience becomes yours. That is what's so amazing about the gospel, friends. Is that his obedience, Jesus' obedience, becomes yours by faith. That's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin. For our sake, Jesus who was sinless took on our sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In him, that's the key. That's the key to the gospel. Are you in him? Are you in Christ? It's the key to understanding everything about the gospel. So if you are in Him, you must, verse 1, dwell in the shelter of Jesus' obedience on your behalf. That's how you receive these promises. That's how you receive His love. And if you do that, then you you can live the rest of your life serving the Lord, not being scared of, 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 of your safety in this life. You can give your life away. You can serve willingly because you have divine protection that you'll never perish. You have, uh, you will endure to the end because Jesus has already ran that race for you and your future is secure in God. Lift up your eyes, lift up your hands, receive God's blessing upon you this day. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.